0: up with me, Lucy Parsons. Welcome to today's show where we're talking about A-level history and strategies for success in that subject. It's an interview with Zoe Holland who is a history teacher with over 20 years experience and also one of the academic coaches on my team. Before we dive into the conversation with Zoe, I just wanted to let you know that Zoe is teaching a How to Revise History A-Level Masterclass in the Extraordinaries Club on the 1st of May at 10 a.m. That's in the year 2021, if you're listening to this in the future. Um, And I'd love you, if your child is taking A-Level History, I'd love you to bring them along um, because we're really focusing on a toolkit of historical skills but also quick strategies you can put in place so this is relevant for both students in year 13 this year who are probably currently doing their final assessments and students in year 12 who want to improve their grades for their UCAS predictions and that kind of thing and throughout year 13 so on the master's class you'll discover which revision strategies to use for the breadth and for the depth studies so you don't get bogged down in dates, statistics and events, reducing your stress and concentrating on the important things to remember. We'll also look at how to get better marks by looking at model answers that demonstrate how to move beyond the superficial to analyse and evaluate historical extracts. The common mistakes that students make and how to avoid them. The language of success at A-level history, including the words and terminology that enable you to show your skills of analysis and your substantiated and sustained judgments. And finally, how to avoid just giving historical facts and answer the question to maximize your marks. So if this sounds like something that you think would benefit your child, please sign them up so that they can join the live masterclass on Saturday the 1st of May. Or if you're listening to this in the future or can't actually make it to the live masterclass, there will be a recording in the Extraordinaries Club in perpetuity. So you can sign up to the Extraordinaries Club to get access to it there. Okay, let's go over to the conversation with Zoe so you can get a flavour of what she's like and the kind of advice she is able to give. Welcome to the School Success Formula, Zoe Holland. Thank you, Lucy. And yeah, and welcome back because um, I've already interviewed you once because you're one of our academic coaches working with about five or six different students at the moment. Aren't I you? Am.
1: Yes, yes, and it, it's fantastic. And there's never been. Um, a more interesting time to be working with students and helping students when I think
0: at the moment they they need the help the most. They definitely do and that word interesting times like <laughs> you want to be a student <laughs> in interesting times but not actually for a teacher. And <laughs> <Or a teacher. laughs> um, so Zoe before we go into talking about A-level history could you tell us a little bit about your background with the subject and all your teaching experience?
1: Yes, well, I've been a history teacher for over 20 years now. And perhaps the biggest buzz I get from from doing my job is helping students at GCSE and A-level. So helping them um, secure those grades that will enable them to go on and achieve whatever it is they want. And actually often seeing them go on to university to study um, history courses um, and actually some of them become history teachers themselves. Um, I'm proud to say, I actually, one of my first students um, went on to become a history teacher and is now a head of the school in London, which makes me feel very old. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> I've also been an examiner. So I know a thing or two about. Um, Wanting quick fixes, because when students come to me and ask how they can improve their answers, they want to be able to do it quick, quickly and effectively. Um, being an A-level student is tough. There is a lot of work coming from all sorts of different angles. And students want to have ready to implement strategies that can help them and so that they can be motivated when they see their grades improving. And that's a very important part of my job is keeping students motivated.
0: Brilliant. OK. And you're still teaching, aren't you, even though you're working with me yes. as an as a coach? You're yes.
1: still yeah, I'm still in the classroom. Uh, I can't seem to get away. And I, I think that's because I, I do love um, having that impact on a student's life and actually seeing a student grow and develop. And inspiring a lifelong love of learning um, in my subject, um, which um, I'm really proud to be able to do. And especially at the moment as well, when students need so much help and many of them haven't had the time in class that they've needed. It's a really important job um, and a really important thing to be able to do to support those students
0: Yeah. So tell us a bit more about that, Zoe. Like, you know, you're working in a sixth form college and you're teaching and you're you're working with some of the um, academic coaching clients as well. So how do you see it right now? Like where are A-level students right now?
1: Well, I have a lot of sympathy um, for, of course, year 13 students who uh, you know were left wondering, weren't they? Left wondering for a long time what was going to happen to them this summer. So my, my sympathies lie with them, but, but also um, with year 12 students who have suffered an equal amount of disruption, yet they are still waiting to find out what the final arrangements will be for their exams. Um, and having a son in year 12, Um, really brings it home to me as well. What a stressful situation that can be for a teenager that wants to do well. So all the students I work with are are very hardworking. They want to do their very best to get the very best grades possible. But some are left feeling anxious at the moment, uh, feeling under pressure. And quite frankly, some are feeling overwhelmed, by the task in hand and the prospect at the moment, because we haven't heard otherwise having to take exams when the time in class has been disrupted. Um, And just to give you a real example of that, just uh, yesterday, uh, all of the year 12 cohort that I teach um, are now isolating for 10 days. and, And that's the second time um, since schools have returned. So it, very,
0: they must have only had about five days actually in school.
1: Absolutely. And then you have all the, the other um, independent isolations that go on as well um, that, that don't perhaps affect the whole, whole cohort, but affect individual students. So it's been equally as disruptive for year 12 as it has year 13. So I just hope that we can get some clarification from the government about where things are going so that at least we can help prepare students and support them mentally. Many are struggling right now um, and relieve some of that pressure that, that some of them are feeling. And I think it's very, very important to, although the focus is very much on year 13 right now, to keep an eye on year 12. Um, given the disruption that they faced and and also acknowledge the fact that a lot of them are experiencing increased assessment mm-hmm. um, from teachers who are like myself I, I would include myself in that you know we are conscious of the fact that uh, we, we could be asked to produce a bank of evidence on those year 12 students next year yeah so the assessment really is is coming thick and fast for lots of students and yes. we're finding that quite tough.
0: Yeah I, do, I think there's definitely a mindset thing about that as well though isn't it? it's hard to be tested and assessed all the time but actually when you look at things like revision methods actually students do better when you know it, there's frequent recall and all that kind of thing so I When I talk to the students in the Extraordinaries Club, it's very much, you know, how can we view this in a positive way? Because it's really not helpful to look at it as a bad thing when you've got to do it anyway. And so, you know, we talk about, you know, well, I would say to people in that situation, you know, if you're having frequent tests, that means you're really getting to know this stuff as you go along. And if you've listened to any of my other A-level podcast that we've been doing this year with the people who've been teaching the how to revise a level masterclasses everybody says every subject especially says you know you need to be on top of every topic as it comes all through the year so it's not a bad thing as such for your overall achievement to be doing this it may be in a context of uncertainty but if you can look at it as something that is actually helping you to stay on top of things as you go along and um, you know that that's more helpful than just thinking oh it's also dreadful it's also stressful. <laughs> All
1: absolutely that- no I, I absolutely agree with that and I think it's so important that as adults Um, That is the way that we approach it with our worried students. And um, it's absolutely my approach um, that I've taken, that students see this as a positive. Um, I I would actually say, um, in all honesty, I think it's a golden opportunity for many students. And I, I know many students don't react well to exams. So to be assessed continually... Yes. Is actually a, a preferable situation, and it's there for the taking. The you know the grades are there to be banked. Um, so with a good attitude and a positive mindset, um, I think anything can be achieved. So I'm I'm quite as a teacher, I'm quite excited about this period, and I, I would hope um, that we take away some advantages and we we take away some of the things that we've learned. Yes. Um, and the powers that be perhaps you know maybe review what we do with exams um, yeah. and think about how we can um, give every student an opportunity to shine um, and perhaps you know not not in the way we've always done it but mm. perhaps think about ongoing assessment yeah has another option
0: yeah I think the whole pandemic you know everything about every aspect of life you know gives you pause to reflect on how things are done and you know the changes that happened to education um you know in the early 2000s I think it was you know mm-hmm. there's a lot not right with it for with a lot of people for a lot of students and so if this does give the powers that be <laughs> pause to reflect and change things then maybe it's not all been for nothing. But um, just think about this. We've talked about year 12 and year 13, haven't we? I mean, when we have the masterclass um, on the 1st of May, they're, they're going to be really in the thick of this final period of assessment. But what? year 12, you know, as you've said, uh, still in this kind of guessing game about what's going to happen next year. I think as lo- as through the first part of this academic year from September to January, we had to assume that exams are going ahead. I think we have to assume for this year's Year 12s that they will have A-level exams because we don't have any other, you know, I don't think the government's even hinted that they're they're thinking about doing anything different, have they? No, no.
1: no. And that's very important. So in that respect, um, any, any students that come along to the masterclass are going to experience what I would call a a toolkit, a perfect toolkit to boost your history grade, um, no matter what stage of the course you are at, and prepare you for any eventuality. So whether that is an exam question, um, that may be kept and banked and used as evidence by your teacher, or whether it's preparation for exams which which may take place next summer, then the strategies are still the same, yeah. and they will still work. And the beauty um, of the masterclass is that we can learn those strategies. And work through those strategies so that we can have some very quick wins that will um, be effective from the very first piece of work that students do after attending
0: the masterclass. So, I mean, this was something I was going to ask you about later, but it's all about making people better historians, isn't it? It's like the toolkit of a historian or like you might have a toolkit if you're a plumber. A historian needs a toolkit of a certain type as well, don't they? Absolutely. And
1: and that is where A-level history really, really finds students out. Yes. Um, Many students say to me um, that history is the subject they find the hardest out of all their A-levels. And why is that? Well, at first glance, you might say it's because of the content. But then equally, other subjects could argue that too. But there's no getting away from the fact that students need to know a lot to be successful at history. And it's not just knowing facts. So I've met um, some very, very hardworking students who have revised intensively, who have done every single possible thing they could do to revise the subject. But it doesn't automatically make them good historians, unfortunately. A lot of the success in in being good at A-level history and having access to the top mark bands comes from the way that you approach the examination questions. Mm -hmm. So students need to be prepared exceptionally well for not just the extracts components, but also the essay questions. And there are quite different skills at play there. So an example of that could be um, students are very good at um, talking about reliability of an extract, for instance. But they sometimes forget that actually in A-level we need to talk about the value of an extract. Well, how can we do that? Well, that depends on what the question is. So what would it be valuable for? So we get a lot of superficial comments which dock students' marks and it caps them at level three, when really some more developed answers and answers which delve a little deeper into the provenance of a source will enable them to produce um, an answer which is worthy of level five, which is the top mark band. Yeah. So that there is lots that students can do. Aside from learning knowledge to boost their grade, that's the good news.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I just think it's so important that people get into this mindset of having this toolkit for history if they're historians, or you know, geography, like I was a geography teacher, or chemistry if they're studying chemistry, and you know, every subject has this toolkit, has this kind of lens that you need to see the questions and the materials and the content and all that kind of thing through. And that's one of the key things that you're hoping to help people with on the masterclass, isn't it?
1: Yes, absolutely. So um, what students will take away are some very quick fixes that will, as I've said before, instantly transform their grade. Um, And many students find themselves, especially at this point in time, because many teachers tend to leave exam technique until the end of term which this year that hasn't been much help so Mm -hmm. we need to learn it very quickly (laughs) Um, so for example um, there there are so many things which go into producing an excellent essay Mm -hmm. so um, one of the things which students overlook is a good introduction which actually acts as a signpost to where your argument is going So argument in history is very important and it's important because it it distinguishes the descriptive answers which get capped in the lower levels to the more analytical and evaluative answers which are worthy of the higher marks. And students can do that instantly. They can instantly alert the examiner to the fact that they are a top band student by putting a little signpost into the introduction. That's one quick way to Mm -hmm. show it. Um, the direction that their answer will take. Uh, They can also learn to structure paragraphs in a way that forces them to refer back to the question. So many students will be, for instance, familiar with the Peel strategy, which is very good, but I know many teachers who are starting to replace the L with an R to make it peer, which R means refer back to the question. So it's, it's a continual reminder that at the end of each paragraph, referring back to the question, make sure that you are answering the question precisely, and you are not wandering off the subject, yeah. which costs valuable marks. And it's, it's those little things, it's little little steps um, that go together to, to produce a top performing student. And another important fix, um, which I find as an examiner is the thing which really sets students apart, is to be making judgments throughout their answers. So a student can know so much about subject they can be writing um, and give away so many facts and detailed knowledge but if they haven't made those judgments which is a key requirement at at history a level then their answers will again be capped so making mini judgments at the end of each paragraph is a good way to alert the examiner to the fact that you are a top band student
0: yeah i I think I remember when I was writing essays at university and uh, historical geography was one of the papers that I did at university. Like every time you found yourself straying into description, like the alarm bells should be going Mm -hmm. off. Like history may say, like have the word story in it, but you're not actually telling the story as a historian, are you? You're kind of interpreting what happened. um, You are.
1: and and that's the beauty of the subject and um if you if you talk to any history student one of the things that they tend to really like about the subject is the freedom to um put forward an argument Mm -hmm. so providing that the argument is well evidenced Um, providing that they've analysed well, providing they've used um, good, credible historians to support their views. It is possible to to be very flexible and be very free in your thinking. And the beauty of A-level history is that it gives students room to manoeuvre and it gives students room to be creative with their answers. So in a a lot of ways, unlike um, subjects such as maths or science, where there is a right or wrong answer, the great thing about history is there is no standard answer, and that 's a really good thing because that that encourages students to be independent. It also prepares them um, in, a, in a much better way, much more sound way for, for further study yes and definitely. It, it, it makes them more independent and inquiring learners too
0: yeah yeah it 's not really about what you know it 's about what you think isn't it, and that ought to be a great opportunity for an opinionated teenager. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, it ought to be. <laughs> it
0: ought to be. Okay. okay, so what do students fear the most about A-level history?
1: I think um, the biggest fear is th- this, th- the vast amount of dates that they will come across when, especially with With the breadth study, you know, we're looking at Tsarist Russia, we're looking at communist Russia. That's a hell of a lot of history to cover. So a lot of students um, will see the subject um, as something that they previously enjoyed at GCSE, but found challenging. They get into A-level and they find that it's taken on a whole new dimension. Well, you know, the, the, the joy is in the challenge there because it is something that can be mastered. The worry about the content—it is something that can be worked through. There are so many strategies that we can use to help us remember a vast amount of content, Um, and that's what I'm here to help with. So, for instance, um, you could look at Tsarist and Communist Russia. By a very um, effective way of, of revising it is to take economic, political, social. So I often use that as a teaching strategy with students if we're looking to find um, the impact of a policy on a group of people, um, economic, political, social, um, and bring them all together at the end. Um, Alternatively, for um, the breadth study, you you can use a timeline. Mm -hmm. Timelines are very effective if they are visual. Um, it prevents us from having to take copious notes um, and is an instant way to to spot change, to spot continuity, um, and also importantly to spot the rate yes. of change. So for a student in a level history just to talk about change, well that's great. But what they need to be doing is going beyond that and talking about the rate of change. How fast was it? How slow was it? Did it affect everybody um, in the same ways? Was the change internally produced or was it imposed externally? There are so many ways that we can train our brains to be going beyond the obvious and looking for other dimensions to remember this vast Array
0: of subject matter. Yeah, so I thinking- I, over the years of doing what, academic coaching, so many students have said to me, "How do I learn all this history content and like the dates and everything?" Mm-hmm. And you know, my perspective on that is that you're looking at it in the wrong way if you're just trying to memorize a list of dates. You, you know what you 're looking to understand <laughs> like i 've just said it 's not about the story, but first you 've got to understand the story and how one event links to another and wh- when you understand that it 's going to be much easier to remember the dates that are associated with it because you understand uh, like th- this yeah. happened then this happened then this happened and
1: absolutely that 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 's a hundred percent it, and the students get um panic stricken sometimes students um they they get a block because they think my my brain just physically can't absorb all this information but if you look at it thematically you actually don't need to know too many dates because in some ways that can actually hinder you knowing lots and lots of dates can make your answers more descriptive uh, which is going to end up getting them capped so th- the less dates you use the more likely your answers will be more analytical um which will enable you to access the higher mark bands so it- it's not it's definitely not a bad thing if you feel like you are the sort of person that struggles to remember dates we just need to work out which ones we need to remember which are important and there, there are a lot that we actually don't need to retain because the themes are are more important
0: yeah yeah definitely and I I think it it, it, if people are listening to this I think that this whole thing about the argument being more important than the facts (laughs) almost like yeah make the argument the the largest part of your writing and use the information to illustrate the argument rather than um just filling your pages with information
1: with with facts yes Um, because what what that simply does is it turns your answer into the answer you want it to be not um the answer that you are being examined on uh, which is which is one of the the, as an examiner I see this so often and you want to cry for the student when when you're marking it because they're obviously very very intelligent and know a lot of information but it's if it simply doesn't answer the question um, you can't get the marks so it's very very important to recognize when that's
0: happening Definitely. OK, are there any classic mistakes that students make? I mean, we've talked about the, that great fear of the amount of content, but do they make any mistakes as well?
1: Yes. Um, the, the main mistakes come from students being too superficial. So they'll know the buzzwords um, they'll talk about reliability of a source, but they might confuse it with value. So they might talk about, um, for instance, um, the writer of an extract being biased. Um, That's a very common one. Um, But what that doesn't do, it doesn't acknowledge the fact that a biased source um, is often useful to a historian. Um, So although it may be unreliable, that does not mean that it's not useful. And that's, that's the key area. Um, that I find students tend to lose marks, so they confuse utility with reliability. So again, it's those pesky sources. Um, but but I actually really love the extract questions because we can learn so much from them using a formula which I can go through in the masterclass.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, that sounds. So, yeah,
1: I'd, I'd say that that's the, that's the key area
0: um, that, that students tend to fall down on. Okay, Um, And so a last question for you, Zoe. How important is your written style in A-level history? You know, it's not English, but it is a wordy subject. So how important is that confidence with writing? Well, um, I've always said that anyone
1: who is interested can be a good historian. Um, and I, I've seen many students um, who, who face challenges in their writing. It might be that they're dyslexic, for instance. Um, it might be that they have other challenges in retaining information. Um, but the good news is um, you can still be an excellent historian. Yes, r- written style is really important because when an examiner is marking your work, um, they may have a hundred other papers to get through in a short space of time. They're human beings. So what you've got to do is alert the examiner to the fact that you are a student that is worthy of the top band. And there are lots of different ways that you can do that in your language. And anyone can do this. So it doesn't matter if you are dyslexic. It doesn't matter if you have other learning challenges. There are certain terms and certain words which we can use to add marks to our answers so um, for instance with everything that you write every fact that you give I want you to perhaps think about how you can develop it so this led to so the words we use could be consequently as a result of and if we learn those different terms and words then they will instantly um, transfer themselves into our writing. And it's the things that come after those words. So those words lead um, to more evaluative writing and more analytical writing that will enable your answer to take on a whole new dimension and transform itself from a level three up towards level four and level five. So it's thinking about words which can lead you to be more analytical. A key example of this um, A student, for example, could be talking about the merits of a certain historian. They could be answering the extracts question. So the student might simply refer to um, the author's um, background. They might make simple comments about whether the author is biased, but to actually go on and get the marks think about the political persuasion of that author. So, for example, Eric Hobsbawm, um, one of the the key um, historians of the 20th century, he was a Marxist historian. So if a student then adds that word, the fact that he was a Marxist historian to their writing, that will lead the student to then go on into a discussion about how that might influence the writing how that might influence the extract the fact that he is marxist Mm -hmm. so it's looking for those little um i would call them little diamonds that you can spot um that you can have at your disposal to pop into answers which will make you more analytical and more evaluative
0: Fantastic. Well, there's some really great tips there, Zoe, that um, I hope everybody can benefit from. Um, but you're going to develop all of this that you shared with us today even more on the How to Revise History A-Level Masterclass, aren't you? I
1: am. Yes, I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, it's happening live on the 1st of May at 10 o'clock in the morning as a Saturday. So um, if you're interested, the link will be in the show notes for today's episode which will be at lifemoreextraordinary.com forward slash A-Level History. So you, you can find a link to all the details about the masterclass from there. So that's lifemoreextraordinary.com forward slash A-Level History. Well, thank you, um, Zoe, so much for being here today and sharing so much of your knowledge with us. And I just can't wait <laughs> for the masterclass. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Bye then. Thank you. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Zoe and found it useful. If you'd like to find today's show notes, please go to lifemoreextraordinary.com forward slash A-Level History. There you'll find a full write-up of today's episodes, useful links and also a link to sign up for the How to Revise A-Level History Masterclass on the 1st of May 2021. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day and goodbye.